0: Now, could not turning up for church on Sunday morning have serious health effects? For 30 years, the United States has seen a steep increase in so-called deaths of despair. At the same time, there's been a major decline in religious participation. New research suggests the two trends could be linked. One of the researchers is economist Daniel Hungerman from the University of Notre Dame.
1: Deaths of despair refer to deaths from several different particular causes. So you've got poisonings, which typically refers to drug overdoses, suicides, and then deaths from liver disease, which is often driven by extensive drinking.
0: Now, if you look at the increase of these deaths over the past 20 to 30 years, as you and your two co-authors did, what happens when we lay these numbers over data about religious practice of the last 20 to 30 years.
1: When we uh, compare deaths of despair to uh, religious practice in the US, what we see is that one of them starts going up. Deaths of despair started going up, in particular for middle-aged Americans right At the same time, or maybe right after, we see a big decline in religious practice.
0: And we're not talking here specifically because this is an important point about religious belief. It's something about the practice. Is that right?
1: Yeah. It's well known among scholars who study religion that there's a large decline in formal religious participation in the U.S., kind of starting in the early 1990s. But when you look at self-stated belief, how often people pray, things like that, those sorts of reported measures of religious participation were pretty constant during the 1990s. They weren't falling off the way that affiliation or attendance were falling off.
0: In addition to this research into deaths of despair, I mean, you've done a whole body of economic research into um, the public benefits, community benefits of religious practice. So what are we talking about here? It's the habits of social interactions. um...
1: There are actually several different stories. I think all of them are kind of plausible, but one might be a mutual insurance story. So when times get tough for you and you need support, Either the support of a friend or financial support. That sort of insurance against bad times is something that a religious community might offer its members. So that would be one story, like a mutual insurance, protection against bad times story. Another story is that religious groups may prevent their members from doing risky stuff, excessive drinking, gambling, you know, things like that, simply because they have rules and different prohibitions and prescriptions in place to try to guide the behavior of their adherents. That would be another story. And then a third story is that there's something about being part of this community that provides healthy mental benefits, being around different people, engaging with them, that sort of thing. That's part of it too. All of those different things a community aspect, an insurance aspect, the rules and prescriptions aspect. They all might play a role in providing better outcomes for individuals.
0: Now, let's look specifically at uh, one very fascinating aspect of your research, and that is the blue laws. Now, these were something that existed across many U.S. states. What were the blue laws?
1: Blue laws are laws that restrict commerce on certain times of the week. Nowadays in the US, most people think of blue laws as being related to like alcohol sales. So for instance, where I live here in South Bend, Indiana, you cannot buy alcohol like beer, wine on Sunday mornings before noon. So if I walk into the grocery store, that aisle of the store is roped off so that people don't wander down it. But back in the day, blue laws were much more widespread. So if you go back to the 1960s or 70s in the United States, in most communities, everything was closed on Sunday mornings. And that's because in a lot of communities, there were actually laws that prohibited not just alcohol sales, but just commerce in general on Sunday mornings. Everything was closed.
0: So the lifting of these blue laws, what did it mean, a distraction from people going to church,
1: There's both the shopping issue, the distraction issue that you name, and there's also that work issue too. So if these laws got removed, a process that began with a Supreme Court decision in the 1960s in the U.S., then the mall opens up. And so some people want to go there and shop, and some people might have to go there to work. What we uh, found in our research here is that once that mall opens up and people start leaving churches, There's an increase over the next few years in these sort of deaths of despair. So the exact same causes of death that were going uh, way up in the 90s as religious participation fell. So among middle-aged Americans, you see uh, increases in the very causes of death that seem to be moving in opposite patterns over time with religiosity. Is exactly what kind of got us into the study of blue laws in the first place in this context.
0: There's a racial element too, though, isn't it? Because why is there a greater impact in these deaths of despair among the white working and middle class?
1: That was a big part of our focus was to look at differences across race. That started actually in the deaths of despair literature even before we showed up. One of the big mysteries in explaining the increase in deaths of despair that you see is that it's mainly driven by white middle-aged Americans, at least initially. In recent years, it's a little different. But most of the explanations you come up with, which might be, say, less educated white Americans have bad economic prospects or something like that, those same explanations might apply to minorities in the United States too. But you don't see the increases in mortality for them. One of the interesting things about the patterns we find is that the big decline in formal religious participation in the 1990s in the U.S., it actually is driven by white Americans. You don't really see the same sort of decline for blacks or other minorities in the United States. So it might offer an explanation for why Death of Despair rose just for white Americans. They were the ones who... We're seeing declines in religious participation at the same time.
0: This is really fascinating, Daniel, as we wind up, because as you say, if you look, for example, at the classic liberal Protestant denominations in the United States, traditionally yeah. attended by an upper middle class, they have also shriveled. Episcopalianism, for example, is almost a sect in the United States why don't we see though the same kinds of public health problems associated with the decline of liberal upper middle class religion
1: when you say the same kinds of health problems do you mean like for upper middle class individuals you know should we also be expecting these increases and and deaths of despair and things like that?
0: Yeah, Yes, especially considering we tend to have pathologized and medicalized a lot of things, especially depression, and that doesn't observe class boundaries.
1: That's true. For this particular case, I can tell you that the big drops that we were studying in this period in the 1990s, they're mainly driven not just by middle-aged Americans, which we've already talked about, not just by white Americans, as we were discussing a little bit ago, but also they're driven by less educated white Americans. So the trends that we're seeing at the start of this deaths of despair story, those are trends that are coming from less educated middle-aged whites. That's exactly the same group that saw big declines in religious participation over this era. For higher educated groups, the story is a bit more diffuse. It's more spread out over time. If there's anyone who's figured out a way to try to find some particular time in history where they can observe a a big change in religious participation for those groups, and then tie it to health outcomes. I haven't seen it yet, but I hope somebody can do an exploration
0: like that. I'd love to learn what they would find. Professor Daniel Hungerman is co-author with uh, Tyler Giles and Tamar Oostrom of a fascinating new paper, Opiates of the Masses. Deaths of Despair and the Decline of American Religion. We'll put a link to that on our website. And Daniel is a professor at Notre Dame University. Thank you very much for joining us on the Religion and Ethics Report.
1: Hey, it's been my pleasure. Uh, Thanks for having me.